And I think we need to do baby dedication and earth-shattering announcements every week. Man, it's good. I almost just told you guys just to bring it back around and start over, and we would do that today. Um, man, thank you guys for leading us in worship. We, we are grateful. Uh, we are back in uh, the book of Mark. We're going to be here for a while. It's week four, and we're still in chapter one, and that is okay. We're going to slow roll through it. Um, today, we're, we're going to use something that... Uh, Man, I love to employ just when I read scripture and even teaching people how to read the Bible. These are some tools that I generally give, and that's the way that we're going to do it today. Uh, a lot of times when we read narratives in scripture, which the gospels mostly are narratives, um, we, can, we can use like four questions to kind of help us understand what we're reading, what we're thinking about. And so when we read a text, the first question that we can ask and try to answer through the text is, what does this passage teach us about God? Uh, or Jesus, since Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, me and the Father, we are one. When we look at Jesus, we're, we're looking at God. Now, there is the Trinity, it will wreck your brain, but hey, what do we learn about God? The second question that we can ask is, is what do we learn about man, or what do we learn about self? And so, you know, maybe there's some things in there that God's teaching us about who we are, what we need to do, how we need to respond, how we need to think. The third is, what do we need to do with this text? Because if we're reading a passage and we're not actually reading it for application or what God's calling us to do, maybe a, a brain change, maybe repentance because that needs to happen, maybe even moving into something that scares us, we don't understand, whatever it may be, what is God asking us to do? And then the fourth question, in the context of who we are as a church that uh, wants to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city, we need to ask this fourth question and be able to answer it. How can I use this to disciple someone else? Like, what I'm learning, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about man? What do I learn about what I need to do? And then how can I use this to invest, disciple someone else? And so we're going to do our best to answer those questions today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to read 29 uh, through 45. And I'm going to go ahead and read through this text. And we're just going to kind of start answering those four questions, if you're okay. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're, we're going to roll. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word can teach us about who you are. It can teach us about who we are. God, it will point us to what we need to do in light of those two, those two answers. Um, and God, most definitely, we use it to invest in other people. That is why we are here. That is why you redeem us, uh, because other people are just waiting for the gospel. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to answer those today. I pray that you would help us to answer those and take those out from here, uh, not just to use them for self-help, because we don't want self-help. We want your help. And, God, we want you to reproduce something in us that you allow us to reproduce in something else. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And, God, thank you that we can look at him and know you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed, last week we were talking about Jesus was teaching in the synagogue uh, in uh, just a place called Capernaum. It was a town of about 1,500 people. It was a fishing village. These were blue-collar people, great people. And so he was teaching there. And uh, we find him at the end of that. It's at the close of the Sabbath. Uh, during the Sabbath, they would go and learn, but then they would go home and, and do nothing. That was Saturday for them. New Testament tradition, we have moved Sabbath to Sunday, a day of worship. But this, we find him on Jewish Sabbath, verse 29. It says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 
Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40, and the leper, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so, a large section of Scripture, if we go, you know, this is one of those exceptions because a large majority of the time, like, we have to kind of look at the way that Mark wrote, and Mark wrote in very simple language. From a, a uh, perspective of a Greek linguist, Mark was not that. Like, he didn't use the biggest words. He didn't use the best words, or even all of them, but he used enough words to get the point across. He most likely was not a natural Greek speaker, uh, but Peter was speaking to him, and Mark was writing them down. And so, most of the time, Mark is going to be a little less detail-driven than the other gospel writers, but this is one of those places where that's not necessarily the case. If we look at the corresponding accounts in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, uh, this is like eight lines. All of these verses, about eight lines. And so Mark takes time, especially talking about the beginning of Jesus and why he was here, to develop these a bit more and to help us answer the question, who is this Jesus and why was he here? Last week we saw that when he was in the synagogue, it wasn't the fact that there was a man possessed by a demon that blew the minds of the people in the synagogue. What blew their minds is that Jesus spoke with authority like someone who owned the words, wrote the words, and when he spoke, truth became truth because it came out of his mouth. They looked at him and they were like, this is insane. This is crazy. How is this? Who is this? And how can he teach with such authority like he owns it? Now we get to see Jesus go out from there and not only speak with authority, but demonstrate it. We get to see him not just use words, which he'll talk about, but we get to see that he doesn't just have authority over the things that he speaks, but he has authority over all things, everything. And so Mark is beginning to unpack this idea like, who is this Jesus? Why did he come and why should we know these things? And so the first thing that we need to ask, the questions that I talked about, is what do we learn about God? Well, the first thing I think that we learn in this passage is that Jesus came, according to this text, he came for two reasons. Two reasons. Now, granted, as we read the rest of Mark, like if you've never read it, I urge you, go ahead, cheat, read ahead. It's fine. We're going to be here for a while. Read it every week. I don't care. That's great. I would love for you to know what I'm going to say before I say it. Go read it. But if we're just reading this, if we're looking at just this text, this is what we can know about Jesus. He came to heal, and he came to teach. He came to heal. He came to teach. Synonymous to healing, I think that we could say it's restoration. And, and like Jesus saw, like Jesus would walk to a place and there would be something broken and Jesus would fix what was broken as he saw it. He wouldn't even plan to go there, but just, man, brokenness would find him and he would fix it. Like in the very beginning, we say that we see that he came to heal. He walked into to these guys' houses, to Peter and Andrew's house and hit Peter's mother-in-law, the mother of his wife was laying there and she was sick. And they said, hey, Jesus, my mother-in-law, she's sick. And what did Jesus do? Jesus saw an opportunity to heal, to restore. And it says he touched her, she got up. And then she began to serve. We'll come back to that in a minute. 
but he saw an opportunity, so he took it. He didn't ask for explanation. He didn't ask for, hey, I need a resume. He didn't ask for any reasoning or anything. He was just like, okay, and, and he heals. He restores. He had an opportunity. There was something broken. He could fix it. He did. So we see him healing there. We see at the end of the Sabbath, because he, was in, he went into the house uh, during the Sabbath after synagogue and, and healed the mother-in-law. But then when the sun went down, people were permitted by Jewish law to now leave their house. And guess what they did? They had heard about what Jesus did in the temple. They had heard about the authority which he possessed, the way that he spoke like he owned it. Remember, Henry Ford versus the mechanic, like he made this. And they're like, man, we've got to go see him. We've got sick people. We've got demon-possessed people. Let's go. And it says the whole town showed up at his door town's about 1,500 people. Like, you know, you may have two or three people. Like, on a good night, we've got a group of four people knocking on our door. That's awesome. But 1,500 people. Houses not nearly as big as ours. Not well constructed, but I mean 1,500 people. And it says that he goes out, and they were sick. They had demons. He took care of it. He healed. He restored. He, he brought people back to where they needed to be. And that was on his volition. Like, he chose to heal. He chose to restore, to bring them back. And we see a little bit further, if we go down uh, to verses 40 through the end, uh, a leper comes to Jesus. A leper comes, and, and he just, it says that he throws himself down on his knees, and he's begging him. The words implore, but that's like begging. That's like, please, I'm a leper. And I don't know if we know all the implications of leprosy, but someone that was a leper, like, they couldn't go into the temple, so they couldn't worship with the rest of the people. They couldn't go to town when everybody else went to town and buy stuff because they were unclean. Not only could they give someone else, or so they thought leprosy, uh, not only could they do that, and you could lose your fingers over that. I mean, it was just tough, like, but just religious life, which was the center of Jewish life. They were outcasts. They were nobodies. They were unwanted. They couldn't hold down a job. They couldn't live with other people, so they had nothing. Most of the time, they were homeless. They were beggars. So every level that this person was, he was at the bottom of every single place. Religious life, bottom. Work life, bottom. Family life, bottom. Culturally, bottom. And this guy comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, uh, if, if you would, I would love it if you would heal me. And then Jesus does something crazy. Not only does he heal him, but Jesus actually touches him. Woo, you know, I don't know if you know, but that's bad. Bad. Jesus touches him, he heals him, because Jesus came for two reasons. He came to heal, restore, and he came to teach. And so as the opportunities permitted, he did it, everyone. So he, he healed all these people that were sick, they had demons, he healed this leper, which we'll come back to in a minute too, but he came to heal and to teach. And then in between these two passages, in verse 35, it says, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went away to a desolate place. There he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The second reason Jesus came is he came to share truth that people didn't have. He came to teach. Like, believe it or not, like, you know, I, I love the sentiment of the billboard sign that says, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Like, I get that. Like, I really do. Like, I get it. Like, live your life in such a way that people are going to see Jesus. But here's the problem. The gospel is made up of, of language. Like, it's made up of language. It's made up of words that need to be spoken. Jesus could not teach truth without opening his mouth. People could not hear that you need to repent and believe without the words coming out of his mouth, without truth being uttered from someone's speech hole. Like, it had to come out. 
The gospel is made up of words, and yes, it is conveyed through action, but it has to be spoken. And Jesus went to the center of religious life, and he spoke the truth, that it's not about the law that saves you. No, no, no. It's about faith in me. You need to repent, turn from who you were, turn to who I want you to be, and let me change you and believe that I can. He came to heal, he came to restore, but he came to teach. And both of those things are utterly dependent upon one another. Jesus came to heal. He came to teach. And through that, he came to restore everything that was broken. All of it. That's the first thing we can learn about Jesus. And I'm trying to bust through a lot of notes for time. But here's the second thing that we can learn about Jesus if we're asking the question, what do we learn about him? I think the second is incredibly valuable. Going back to verse 35, it says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there... He prayed. There he prayed. Like we're not even getting to the what we learn about man part. We're still learning about Jesus, but it's it's indicating a lot about us. Um, But Jesus, even after 15, let me let me just let me calm down a little bit. 1,500 people showed up at his door the night before. They needed to be healed. They needed demons exercised. And guess what Jesus did? He did it. He did it. The day before or the morning before, people were marveling at him. Uh, because he was speaking with authority that they'd never heard of, and they were like, man, this is amazing. We're going to tell everybody about this. And they did. And as a result, 1,500 people banging on his door. Not even his door. It was a borrowed door. It would have been incredibly easy. It would have been incredibly easy for Jesus, just for a minute, the flesh side of Jesus, 100% man, 100% flesh, for him to say, man, I'm great. But you know what he did? He got away and he prayed. He got away and he prayed for a couple reasons. Number one, because we look at Philippians and we see that even though Jesus was completely, as the Son, equal with the Father, he willingly canoeed or let loose of certain rights of his divinity and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. Jesus understood it was not his place to receive praise and adoration for the work that God was doing through him. So he went away and he prayed, a mark of humility. But not only that, he also understood that this authority that people were marveling at, it was because of God the Father too. And if he hoped to continue to do that, to continue to be on that path with God the Father, even though he was the Son and they were one, Trinity, blow your mind, like he knew he needed to depend on him. And so very early in the morning before anybody else got up, and I guarantee they get up way before millennials do on a regular basis, he was gone and he was out somewhere praying. And that's not a knock at millennials, it's just the way things are. He was out praying. And Scripture attests to it later, uh, just in several other places. Like it, was, like, it was frequent that Jesus would get up well before anybody else, and he would just go and pray. It blows my mind that Jesus, equal with God, footing with God, God, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He saw it necessary to get away to a quiet place, a desolate place, a dark place, and just spend time talking to the Father. Man, there's a lot of misconceptions that we have about Jesus. But the one thing that we cannot misunderstand is that Jesus knew Man, that God receives the glory, that the Father is the one to be praised. He made sure of it. He took steps to assure it. And one of those was just to get away, to pray, to recharge, to reorient, to prepare. He did it constantly. Man, we see him do it in the garden. Man, painful prayers in the garden. We see him do it on the cross, crying out to God, my God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, why have you forsaken me? Because my sin was placed on him. We see him frequently just, man, constantly uniting himself with the Father. Then we see John 17, like him praying for us. 
like this high priestly prayer of God, pray, Jesus praying to the Father for us, what he would do with us and, and how he would bring us in. Like we see Jesus constantly going to God the Father. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about us? Hidden in there is this little bitty nugget that, man, I think if we read quickly, we'll miss. And I have a tendency to read quickly. It said, now Simon's mother-in-law, verse 30, lay ill with fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came up and took her by the hand, lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Oh, my gosh. Like, just hold, hold your taters. I mean, that's, there's a couple lines there, okay? Let me, let's, let's get this straight. We think that Jesus saves us for us, right? We do. Like, we, we've got this very egocentric mindset that, hey, the gospel's for me. It's to unite me with God. It's so that I can live my best life now, not to steal a, a, a title from a book. But I did. It, it, you know, we think that's what the gospel is. But we look right here. This woman lays sick. Okay, Jesus goes in. He takes her by the hand. He heals her. You know what she does? She doesn't blog about it. She doesn't do it. They don't do that back then. But she gets up and she goes to work. She gets up and she starts serving the one who just healed her, right? But we don't do that, no. We get healed and we sit our cans down in a seat. And I'm not saying any of you are doing that, but I'm saying this is the cultural appropriation that goes towards the church. We think that we're healed to sit. This woman said, no, I'm healed to work. What do we learn about man? This is what we need to learn about man. Number one, we're incredibly selfish, but Jesus is trying to free us from that. And he says, when I am healing you, I'm healing you from the world, and I'm placing you in the kingdom. And guess what the kingdom does? The kingdom gets out and gets it done. And I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me right now. But I'm just, I, I love just when a couple of lines just hit you so hard. She was healed, and she got up, and she began to serve. kingdom of God is not made up of lazy people. The kingdom of God will not grow because lazy people choose to do nothing. The kingdom of God will grow as a result of people realizing, I have been healed and freed from the entrapment of sin and freed into a life of service and now new bondage to Jesus. A bondage in which he says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. And the gospel has responsibility attached to it. And very often we don't want that. We don't want to admit it. But there is. Like if you start with the bookends, like repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now go therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And don't worry, I will be with you always. Man, there's so much responsibility attached to the fact that we have been set free. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. Now we've been set free to serve in the kingdom of God for his purpose, for his will, for his glory. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, his craftsmanship, his masterpiece, placed in good works that he created long beforehand. Now live in them. And we're healed to serve. Never been healed to sit. Now granted, there's time for healing, and we're not going to knock that, okay? Uh, yes, there is a time to heal. There is a time to do all of those things. But overall, man, we are, we are healed to serve. And if we haven't heard that, I, I truly believe we have not heard the gospel in its entirety. We've heard a couple of lines, but we haven't heard the whole story. Jesus didn't, come to, <laughs> Jesus didn't come to redeem an army of sitting people. Kingdoms aren't won that way. What do we learn about man? Here's what we learn. Man, if Jesus has truly healed us, if he has done what he came to do, if he has taught us truth that has brought us into believing in him, for faith comes by through hearing and hearing the word of God, if he has done that and he has healed us of our infirmity, which is sin, which has kept us away from God, man, we need to get up and we need to serve. And I am not saying that that means that you need to volunteer here every Sunday. Yo, that's great. That's serving. But here's serving. 
man, make disciples who love God, love one another, love the city. They're serving right there. None of us are released from the obligation to make disciples, whether it's in your home and it's the kids that we dedicated this morning, whether it's your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus yet, whether it's your coworker that says, I am completely opposed to the cross, that's okay. We pray for them on a regular basis. You pull out those cards who you wrote the names on, you pray for them every single morning, you pray for them every single night, uh, you share their names with other people so that they can pray for them too, trusting in the power of God to redeem them, to save them, and you agree with it in such a way that you go after it to see that it happens. Anyway, I'm glad that my soapbox is the Bible because I don't have to get off of it. So what do we learn about man? Man, we're healed for a purpose. We are set free for a purpose. Even in just this little bitty snippet of this mother-in-law who is laying sick, and she gets up, and she doesn't say thank you. She just, she just works. She just works. Reminds me, my mother-in-law has been living with us for the past couple weeks, and that lady's just worked like crazy. Faith, if you're listening, I love you. Come back quickly. So anyway, third question. Man, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think there's two categories of people, okay? Maybe. Let's, let's boil it down to two simple categories of people. The first category, if you're here or if you're listening, first category is you have never understood that Jesus wants to teach you and he wants to heal you. You need to hear it. You need to hear it. Unless we hear the gospel, we can never believe the gospel. You need to hear that you can't fix yourself. There's no chance. No amount of self-help, no amount of counseling, no amount of therapy is going to fix you if it's not Jesus, okay? And I'm not knocking mental health. I'm a big fan of mental health, but that's not going to save you. Jesus can, and only Jesus can. You need to hear that he came to heal you, he came to teach you, both, not either or. And you need to actually believe it if you want to be united with him. Same words that Jesus said when he came on the scene. He said, just said, repent and believe. Turn from your sin, from who you were, turn to me and believe that I am the only way. Because he said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believe that. And allow him to unite you with God the Father, the same one that he went away in the darkness and in the desolate place to pray to. And just, man, give your life over and understand that he has healed you so that he can use you for his glory, but you're good. First category. Second category, maybe some of us just need to, man, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about, maybe some of us just need to change our minds, allow our minds to be changed, and understand that God did not save us so that we can sit. That was never the point. Like if we look at everyone in Scripture that God comes into and he speaks to, the very first thing when they get up, even this guy who Jesus liked, to be honest, like the leper at the very end, even this guy who Jesus said, don't tell anybody about, just go and do what you're supposed to in the temple so that they can approve and say, yes, you've been healed and you can come back into temple life, even though he told him, and I don't know if it's sin or not, I don't know, even though Jesus said, don't tell anybody, he just goes and he has to talk about it. He has to serve with his mouth, like immediately. And Jesus told him, don't tell anybody, because he knew that it would make it hard for him to go into synagogues and places, and from here on out, he had to teach in the wilderness, and on mountainsides, and from boats, and do all that kind of crazy jazz. But either way, like they, something happened in them, and they immediately had to speak. Woman at the well, hey, you're a sinner, you're looking for the Messiah, I'm him. She goes back and tells her entire village, and they're like, oh, we believe now too. Jesus didn't equip us and redeem us and heal us so that we can sit. Maybe we need to change our minds and ask this question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? How do you want me to do it? When do you want me to start? Now? Okay. 
Maybe we just need to change our minds and figure out that we have not been healed so that we can sit. No matter how beautiful the space is or how ugly the space is, that's not God's deal. He came to change our identity and our occupation. Our identity and our occupation. You mean like he wants me to quit my job? Maybe, but I'm not saying that. I'm saying he could, but your occupation now is no longer you're you're an accountant or no longer you're a doctor. No, you're a disciple-making, Christ-following individual who happens to be a doctor, who happens to be an accountant, who happens to be a stay-working-home mom, who happens to be whatever. Those are the things that you do now, but your identity is something different. And how do we use this to make disciples? How do we do this, use this to invest? Well, I think a lot of the same questions that we wrestle with, other people wrestle with too. Like, why did Jesus come? Like, why did Jesus come? Did he come so that I could have more rules? No. No, he didn't. He came to heal and to teach. Did Jesus come so that I, I don't have any fun anymore? No, 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 no. He, he, came, he came to heal and teach. Did Jesus come to trap me in another system to sell me something else like Amway? No, 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 he didn't. He came to heal and to teach. Why did Jesus come? Man, the central question that's on people's minds is like, who is this Jesus and is he real and why did he come? We get to answer that. Whether somebody's a believer yet or they're, they're on the road to that or even, even somebody that's been following Jesus for a long time but hasn't heard they need to get up and do something, maybe we get to share that. And Jesus taught in simple truths out of his mouth and displayed them in the things that he did. We get to do the same thing. The things that we learn about God, the things that we learn about ourselves, what do we need to do? Man, we get to convey those to other people. It's just like the hourglass that we talk about. Like, yes, God's pouring into us. We flip it over and get to pour it into someone else. Where we live, where we work, where we play. Here's the, here's the second thing I think we need to do. And how we, how we use this to disciple people. Number one, like I already said, we don't know exactly what Jesus prayed here, but we can look at the rest of his prayers in Scripture and make a pretty good educated guess. Uh, I think he was praying to continue to be united with God, but I think he was praying for the people that he would meet. I mean, we look at the other prayers, like he, he's praying for those who would follow him and what they would do. Whether he prayed it now, whether he prayed it later, he prayed it. And I think we need to do the same. Like if we're seeking to make disciples who make disciples before we ever invest a single word in their ear, into their brain pan, man, we needed to have gone to God beforehand, seeking that God would save them, redeem them, heal them, teach them, and maybe he'll do it through us. Those names that you wrote down, I'm serious. Man, we're going to harp on those a long, long time. You wrote those down because there are, there are at least three people in your life that do not know Jesus, and you have an opportunity to speak truth into their lives, to do the same thing that Jesus did. But it starts with you going to God regularly, repeatedly, like the persistent widow, and just praying for their salvation, agreeing with God to the point that he wants them to be saved. So do you. So you're going to do everything that you can to see that it happens. You can't save them. God does, but you can play a part. Every one of us were called to serve. We were healed to serve. Man, we do it by investing in other people with truth, with healing, so that they too can know Jesus. And you're not committing an atrocity compared to culture. It doesn't matter. You're sharing truth. Truth, the only life-giving, eternity-shaking, hope-granting truth that exists. And it's Jesus. It's just Jesus. God, we thank you for loving us today. We thank you, God, that you call us to more, that you call us out of where we were 
into where you want us to be. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus, we can know you, God, the Father. We can be indwelled by the very spirit of you living inside of us, teaching us, directing us, God, speaking through us. Thank you for the assurance that as we go, you will be with us. And as Jesus has done, we can do too. God, thank you for life that is not about sitting still, but it is about pursuing those who are far from you. It is about trusting in you to grant salvation, but allowing you to work through us to speak truth to them. Thank you for a city, God, that needs to hear your gospel and for people that you've saved that are ready to speak it. I pray that we would accept that call, that we would speak clearly, that we would speak repeatedly, and that we would speak with full assurance of your power behind our words. God, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray.